I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth in Mission. As the month of June comes to a close, we wanted to share a slice of LGBTQ history to mark the end of Pride Month. Today, Chronicle reporter Ryan Koss joins the show to introduce us to a labor activist who organized with Harvey Milk in the 1970s. They wanted to boycott a discriminatory beer corporation, and the two men got Coors Beer banned in the Castro, ultimately. But they also created another legacy, a lasting connection between gay and labor movements. Some historical figures fade from our memories, and recently, a small group of activists wanted to make sure that one in particular was honored in style. Here's the Chronicle's Ryan Cost with more. It was noon on the Friday before San Francisco Pride Weekend when dozens of people, labor organizers, politicians, and community members gathered at the Castro Street Pride flag. Soon, the crowd spilled out into the road and began to march down Castro together, chanting and singing on their way to surprise one man at his home, Alan Baird. Though his may not be a household name, Alan Baird is a pivotal figure in both labor rights and LGBTQ history. He, along with Harvey Milk and others, worked to establish a connection between the two movements in the 1970s. That, in turn, shaped the futures of both. There really was no relationship between our community and the labor movement at that time. That's Cleve Jones, a friend of Baird's and a longtime LGBTQ and labor rights activist. Uh, homosexuality wouldn't be decriminalized until the mid-1970s in California, uh, and it would remain a, a felony in many states for years to follow. During the same time, labor unions had their eye on one company in particular. Taste the high country. The Coors Beer Company. The Colorado-based company had a number of long-running disputes with its unions, including over wages. The local union went on strike and decided to launch a boycott to try to pressure the company. The Coors beer boycott had begun in the late 1960s, but didn't really get much traction. And then in the early to mid-1970s, the AFL-CIO decided to really push the boycott. It was a, one of the earliest strong examples of a consumer boycott, uh, such as had been pioneered by the farm workers and Cesar Chavez with the uh, grape growers and the lettuce growers. It should also be remembered that, of course, at that time, there were absolutely no job protections for uh, queer people uh, at all. Uh, It was usually grounds for dismissal. Eventually, in the early 1970s, Baird was tapped to help grow the boycott in San Francisco. He kind of came in, I guess, as like a a second string backup um, boycott leader and took the helm of something that was, was kind of struggling. And he really revitalized that boycott and helped it grow into a a really exciting coalition-backed movement in the early 1970s. That's Alison Brantley, an expert and author on the history of the Coors boycott. Early on, Alison says, Alan recognized the potential of bringing the LGBTQ community into the movement. Alan, um, he lived in the Castro, and he was watching the neighborhood change around him in the 1960s and 1970s as uh, queer men and women moved into the neighborhood and, and sort of made it their own. San Francisco, the queen city of the West, known to many for the Golden Gate Bridge and the cable cars, known to far fewer as a haven for homosexuals, a city with a uniquely liberal tradition that tolerates and perhaps even encourages the private and public mating and marriage of men with men and women with women. 
And as he recollected, you know, a lot of his neighbors were not that excited about the way that the neighborhood was changing and had long been like an immigrant working class community. But he was really excited about it and welcomed them. And so as he was trying to organize this boycott on Coors, he decided to reach out to people in his neighborhood. Uh, he realized that the gay community had uh, a great deal of purchasing power. And so he uh, lived around the corner from a camera store that had recently opened. It was run by somebody that he described as kind of hippie looking, and it was Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk, of course, is a well-known figure in the history of gay rights in San Francisco. Over the years, he would organize to defeat the Briggs Initiative, a California proposition that would have banned gays and lesbians from working as teachers. And he'd also won a seat on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. He was assassinated in 1978 at San Francisco City Hall. Alan walked into the camera store and asked Harvey for the queer community's support in the boycott. And Harvey at first, you know, wasn't ready to say yes. He said, okay, well, we can do that if you can do something for us. If you can get uh, out gay men or lesbians into positions in your union, then we can talk about supporting you in your boycott. And Alan agreed and really committed to that over the course of the next couple of years. So it was really a reciprocal relationship of queer activists fighting for the labor movement's struggle against Coors, and the labor movement really stepping up to deliver for the queer community. There were also a number of good reasons for the LGBTQ community to boycott Coors. For LGBTQ activists, it wasn't only that the labor movement was showing up to ask their help and saying they would do something for them. Uh, One of the first reasons that was always emphasized in leaflets was that The company asked or required all of its prospective employees to take polygraph tests. So if you wanted to apply for a job, you'd be hooked up to a lie detector machine. And the questions on the the polygraph test included like questions if you'd ever been in a protest or if you'd ever engaged in radical activism and questions also about your sexual orientation. So they're really invasive questions as many uh, former employees have described. As one activist on the ground in San Francisco said, like once uh, LGBTQ folks learned about the polygraph tests, they were all about the boycott. (laughs) And then beyond that, um, the Coors family was pretty well known by the mid-1970s as being quite conservative. Uh, Joseph Coors, one of the owners of the brewery, donated a great deal of money to conservative organizations like the Heritage Foundation. The Coorses created and financed the Heritage Foundation a right-wing think tank which produces position papers and pushes new right ideology in the national media. And so for queer activists, they saw that Coors was using profits from beer sales to support anti-gay initiatives and conservative initiatives. So a lot of activists, you know, they're boycotting because of the polygraph test, but they also feel that LGBTQ consumers should not be giving their money to a company that turns around and tries to take rights from them. The boycott took off. Activists were able to get Coors beer out of every bar in the Castro district for much of the 1970s, a huge victory for the movement. Here's longtime activist Cleve Jones again. Much of this was word of mouth. It was uh, writing letters to people, writing op-eds, going to the actual bar owners and bar managers and asking them to stop serving Coors. And the Result, I, I, I still look back at it and it's kind of astonishing to me because it was, I think it was just one of those campaigns that people immediately understood the value of it. It was a remarkably successful boycott. 
The impact of the coalition building during the Coors boycott didn't just stop there. The ties Baird and others had built with the LGBTQ community persisted for decades. Historian Alison Brantley explains. And in the 1990s, this really heats up again among LGBTQ activists because the company's uh, private foundation, it's called the Castle Rock Foundation, was donating money to a a wide array of like moral majority, culture wars, anti-gay type organizations. So they're doing this with their own private foundation at the same time as they're donating money to LGBTQ organizations like GLAAD, like Pride Festivals, um, AIDS Research Foundations, and many activists see this as an attempt to kind of buy off the LGBTQ company and make them forget about the boycott. And so in the 1990s, there's this kind of new wave of boycott activism to oppose the company for its kind of two-faced engagement with the LGBTQ um, community. And alongside these activists during these key moments in history were members of the labor movement. And for a lot of people in the labor movement, they said, you know, I had never met a queer person before. And then we're out there organizing and they're standing alongside us in support of our fight against this company. And after the Coors boycott, many labor organizations came out um, to fight against the anti-gay Briggs initiative in 1978 in California. And so those coalitions became really key. And then across the country, as the Coors boycott continued to grow in the 1980s, coalitions popped up in cities like New York and Boston, and the coalitions were pretty much always led by LGBTQ organizations and labor working together. So I think this moment where Alan walks into Harvey Milk's camera store and then starts engaging with with all these LGBTQ activists on the ground paves the way for some really meaningful and robust coalitions for decades to come. We'll be right back. You can support Fit the Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. A couple of younger Teamsters reached out to Cleve recently. They were curious about the story of Alan Baird. He told them Alan was still alive. Today, he's 89 and lives in the Castro District. Cleve offered to reach out to Alan to see if he might have some time to talk to this new generation of labor leaders. Here's a local Teamster explaining why Alan's legacy is so important. My name is Ruben Bastillos. I'm the recording secretary at Teamsters Local 70. We're based in out of Oakland, California. I think that maybe the LGBT caucus wouldn't be where it is today uh, if he didn't do that. There are still people out there that care about what he's done and to continue his legacy. I mean, to me, that's it's for me, it's important that he knows that, um, you know, especially he's getting up there in age and, you know, maybe not the best mobility and younger generations is important for me. It's important to know that he knows that it's being carried on. You know, it's not stopping with what he did has went on and it's going to continue to go on. But when Cleve got Alan on the phone, he heard something he didn't expect. You know, he told his caregiver that he didn't think anybody was going to come visit him because he felt that he'd been forgotten by the union and forgotten by the LGBTQ community. So Cleve sent word out to the community. And on Friday, dozens and dozens of people showed up to prove Alan wrong. As the crowd gathered outside Alan's home, he made his way carefully down his front stairs. He wore a red and white pin on his blue windbreaker, which read, in all caps, I don't drink Coors. One after another, organizations presented him with proclamations and plaques. 
Finally, it was Cleve's turn. He wanted to show Alan a special piece of memorabilia. Well, of course, Harvey used many bullhorns over the years at many different marches and rallies, uh, but he only owned one himself. And the that bullhorn had been a Teamster bullhorn for years. And then when the Teamsters asked Alan Baird to take over the organizing for the boycott uh, in the Bay Area, they gave Alan that bullhorn. And Alan then gave it to Harvey Milk. And then Harvey Milk, when he was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, gave it to me. And I used it for another decade or two. Uh, and it's been in the Smithsonian for the last several years on display there. But I've asked them to return it. I want it to be back in the Castro, and I want Alan to see it again. Alan held the bullhorn in his hands as he looked out at the crowd. These days, it's dented and held together with scotch tape. Then, Alan spoke. Everybody hear me? Yes! I I have different people to thank. I hope I can get through it, though, because this is very tough for me. Take your time. This was a moment to honor Alan Baird, but as Cleve explained... This wasn't just about looking back. This isn't just about nostalgia. Um, There are many people from the LGBTQ community who have now risen to extreme prominence within the labor movement. And there is a direct line from them going back to the afternoon when Harvey Milk and Alan Baird and a union organizer named Howard Wallace sat down. Across the country, we see that LGBTQ people have taken on real leadership roles within the labor movement. And all of that goes back to Harvey Milk and Alan Baird. And I think that that's an extraordinary story. That was Chronicle culture reporter Ryan Cost. You can find his story about Alan Baird online now at sfchronicle.com. Special thanks to our other guests, activists Cleve Jones and Ruben Bustios, as well as author Allison Brantley. You can learn more about the Corps' boycott history in her book, Brewing a Boycott, How a Grassroots Coalition Fought Corps and Remade American Consumer Activism. A very special thanks to Karen Creighton for her help with this episode and to you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.